This message comes from NPR sponsor McDonald's. McDonald's is proud to help communities around the country, donating food and serving hot meals when neighbors need them most, recently in the aftermath of Hurricane Laura and to first responders amidst the pandemic. McDonald's, serving here. From NPR Music, it's all songs considered. I'm Robin Hilton. We're looking back at the past decade in music, its defining trends and memorable moments. On this episode, the globalization of music. I am here with NPR Music's Anastasia Stilkas. Hey there. Reporter, host of NPR's Future You, and founding bureau chief in Seoul, Elise Hu. Hey there, Anyang Haseo. And right here in D.C. with me, NPR Music's Stephen Thompson. Hello, Robin. We're going to talk about uh, a lot of the ways that we've been hearing this world blending in music, including how and why it's been happening. But we start with a moment from... May of 2018, just last year, when the K-pop band BTS had its first number one album in the U.S., it was called Love Yourself, Tear. From that album, this is the song 134340. BTS had been on the rise in the U.S. for a while, and we'll talk about some of their other songs and and albums. But when the band finally hit number one on Billboard uh, with this record, it really felt like we'd kind of arrived at at a defining moment in the globalization of music. Yeah, I mean, Love Yourself, which is what that song is from, really established BTS as global superstars, but they had been on the rise for years um, leading up to that moment in 2018. And especially for me, as somebody who lived in Korea from 2015 through last year, BTS had already been huge in a lot of parts of Asia, China, Japan, Southeast Asia, where K-pop has made a huge incursion over the last two decades or so. But BTS being huge now in the West, in the English-speaking world, really establishes this notion of a shifting epicenter, I think, in global music, right? And K-pop and its force really can't be understated, especially as we've watched it grow. Not just BTS, we've also seen Blackpink, the girl group Mm -hmm. Blackpink, really um, establish itself in the West as well. And so not only are we seeing the popularity, we're also seeing, I think, a lot of trends being influenced by BTS on the fan side and also in the way they put out albums that is being emulated by a lot more English-speaking artists, which is really exciting. And I saw somewhere that like a staggering number of tourists to Korea now, to South Korea, are there because of BTS. Mm -hmm. Like it's way (laughs) beyond just music now. Yes, you, we cannot talk about BTS without talking about ARMY, which is the name of yeah. its fan group and its sort of fan service. The way ARMY organizes itself with grassroots techniques is really mind-blowing. And what's really cool, too, is that the ARMY then also um, has helped in this internationalization, not only in just supporting BTS, but also in translation. Mm-hmm. I know we'll probably talk about the work of translation later, but ARMY has people who are doing the work of translating Korean to to English, which is very difficult, tricky work, for free, such that the label doesn't have to do it in themselves. Love Yourself, Tear came out in May of 2018 um, and represented maybe the cresting of this band's wave of wider popularity. But at least you think the real entry point was uh, maybe a track called DNA that came out earlier. They heard us at the end 
Most people in the United States, the entry point was this song. It was DNA, and this is when BTS really took off. And it was helped by ARMY, as I mentioned before. We know of small groups of ARMY members in places like Tennessee and Texas who decided they really wanted BTS on American radio. And they essentially just wrote a script, like you write a script when you want people to call congressmen in big numbers, (laughs) to call radio stations. And so they wrote these scripts for other members of ARMY all over the country to call their radio stations and get folks to play DNA, an example of how music show online voting, and they do this for music show online voting, but this is an example of how the level of of the grassroots organization of ARMY is really meticulous, just next level fandom. I should note here that by globalization that we're talking about not just the popularity of international uh, music in the U.S., but also the blending of different world sounds within the music itself. And I kind of like to just go around the table and talk about some of the other examples of how we've been hearing this this world blending. Yeah, sure. I mean, you can't talk about pop music and the charts today without talking about Caribbean music. Like, think of Mm -hmm. Rihanna. You can't talk about pop music without talking about reggaeton. This is a thing that if we heard those beats or those sounds or those flavors before, it was sort of like added spice in the mixture, like to make a terrible food analogy. But it was sort of like, here's a little thing that you, you like, even I'm thinking about like, like Missy Elliott, right? Get your freak on. Like it had that feel. And it was like, ooh, it felt like crate digging more than something that was essential. But now we're hearing artists who are representing their own backgrounds, their own traditions. And let's talk about Rihanna, for example, right? You think about work, and I think that there was a lot of confusion around the lyrics uh, around that because she is speaking Patois in a lot of it. But people sort of embraced it. Let's hear a little bit of it. Work, 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 work. It's me heavy work, 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 work. It's me do me da, 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 da. It's me better work, 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 work. Rihanna from Barbados, and this also features, this cut also features Drake, uh, the Canadian rapper Drake, um, a really big hit for her. Yeah, and she didn't have to let go of this kind of essential part of who she is. Um, so let's go to another example, Stephen. 
Anastasia, you mentioned uh, reggaeton. I mean, J Balvin is one of the biggest stars in the world who has experienced massive crossover success. I think in part because his music is so omnipresent on YouTube, you know, that you're seeing J Balvin videos getting streamed billions and billions of times. It's harder, I think, for American record labels to ignore the massiveness of his popularity. Let's hear a bit of a song called uh, Mi Gente. One thing I hear common with all this music is just insanely catchy. It is all oh, yeah. so hooky. And this is a, a track that features uh, the French singer Willie William on it, but also uh, features Beyonce. Yeah, so you you just have this mashup of multiple different languages, multiple different styles of music, and and one thing that we've talked about a lot in recent years is just the complete erasure of of genre in popular music. Like young audiences are not as fixated on on, on genre; they're not going to the record store and looking in one section for one style of music. Everything is available to them at all times, and so they just mash it all together. I'm really glad you mentioned that too, Stephen, because 13430, which was the BTS song that we heard at the very beginning of this episode, um, that actually mixes elements of acid jazz, which is a little old and new. <laughs> and and uh, BTS's producer, P-Dog, is really known for that. So being able to do exactly what you're talking about there, Stephen. And rap in it as well. Yep. It's amazing to me, as Stephen's saying, anything's accessible at any time. And the funny thing about the algorithms uh, of social media, whether it's like streaming platforms like Spotify or YouTube or whatever, is that if something is catching on somewhere in the world, eventually the algorithm is going to serve it up to you elsewhere in the world. And and that is such a huge change. I mean, when you think about decades ago, artists like Johnny Halliday in in France or or Slim Whitman in America, you know, these are people who have sold like a hundred million records each, but they they did so in silos in ways that they didn't necessarily they weren't necessarily able to cross over into into the monoculture. They were they were sort of niche, whether it's, you know, Johnny Halliday just in France or wherever. Like if if that artist were coming up now, it would bleed all over the place well beyond the borders to which it was constrained. Let's hear one more example of how we're hearing this globalization. Uh, Elise. Chicken noodle soup. <laughs> what? <laughs> it's called chicken noodle soup. Uh, It's a collaboration featuring J-Hope of BTS, who is, I don't want to get in trouble, but probably the best dancer in the group, and uh, (laughs) Becky G. And so you're hearing Korean, you're hearing English, you're hearing Spanish, all in one song that's already a popular, uh, has already been popular as a vehicle for Light Feet, a type of dance genre that came out of Harlem. And so you're, you're seeing exactly the kind of mixing and melding of cultures and cultural influences and language that is really exciting in this more globalized international time. I let it rain, I clear it out. 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 Chicken noodle soup, chicken noodle soup, chicken noodle soup with a soda on the side. Chicken noodle soup, chicken noodle soup, chicken noodle soup with a soda on the side. 
나 춤장 스윗거든 내 할름 뉴런 앱당 바이온스 마침 춤을 벗가 워커 할링룸 시댁이 밤샘에 성장한 케이스 내 키는 춤으로 먹여 I'm okay 큰 빈정들을 가는 팬 꿈을 들어가는 내 빈정들을 받는 스텝 Rocking, hopping, touching, touching, flashing, swagging, woo. Watch me, I'll catch you. I'm she, baby. I'm she, now we on the boat. Then I'll catch you. Can't get the trophy. In the air, batting it. Showing my ears. And this just came out in September, and again, like the hooks and the beats are just so undeniable. As somebody who really believes in internationalism and is excited about different cultures mixing and getting to know one another. I love this whole notion that at first, you know, when you had artists like BTS collaborate with an artist like Halsey, it would be expected that BTS was sort of riding Halsey for the clout. Right. But now it's really shifted. That power shifted. That power has shifted to where BTS is being sought after to help other artists oh, get yeah. clout. To keep yeah. to get so, Old Town Road exciting. on to get Old Town Road at number one for a seventeenth week. Right. Right. <laughs> totally. Speaking of Old Town Road, like I think a lot about TikTok and how much that has sort of transformed, along with every other platform, how that's transformed music and how especially younger audiences hear things. And I was just thinking about this last night because my daughter was showing me what felt like endless TikToks uh, <laughs> involving Taki Taki, which was huge a couple of years ago. And not only was she the 13-year-old bopping along to it, but like my five-year-old knew the song. Like he can't sing the lyrics, but he totally knew the song and it was singing along. And I think about this omnipresence of songs that years ago may have just come and, kind of come and gone on the charts that now have sort of this permeating influence in the culture because they're used and recontextualized and reused in so many ways. Let's talk more about social media and its impact because it's not just TikTok and, and Twitter. YouTube has played a massive role in this, and, and I think of the song Gangnam Style, which was the uh, and video, which was the first YouTube video to hit a billion views. Open Gangnam Style. Gangnam Style. I think it hit a billion views in December of 2012. And visuals are so crucial to K-pop and the way that K-pop communicates culture, Korean culture, Korean cities. You all mentioned the tourism numbers to Seoul have gone up specifically because of BTS. Part of it is because these videos help represent a place, right, and make them seem heightened and desirable to visit. And so this is all helped a lot by YouTube. And YouTube, I would argue, played a huge role in the spread of all of Korean pop culture that's now popular. So Korean film, Korean dramas that you can catch on Netflix that are subtitled. And Korean music. I remember just like I mean I'm the oldest one in the group here, but I remember like if I wanted to hear music in another language, I had a shortwave radio. 
that I would use to tune in. And, and it was that, like, Robin? Can you explain what? Gather around Grandpappy's knee. Yeah, back in the uh, 70s. Well, even up into the up into the 90s, early 90s, I would use a shortwave radio to listen to songs from other countries. And it was like, it was like uncovering a buried treasure that nobody else knew about. Man, if I just wanted to learn about a topic, I literally opened the People's Almanac. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, the musical equivalent of that would be like maybe my parents had a, I don't know, like, like was there a KTEL compilation with like <laughs> 10 songs from around the world? Like what even was there for kids who were interested in what the rest of the world sounded like? Yeah, I think back to like you go all the way back to like 1965 when George Harrison plays sitar on Norwegian wood and how mind blowing that was <laughs> yeah. for, for people at the time. Yeah, that was a huge moment. But. Today, it's more like if the Beatles were on the top of the chart and also one of the great vocalists from India, Lata Mangeshkar, was also on the U.S. chart or the British chart at the same time. Let's talk about streaming, which is another way that people have had access that they've never had before. Spotify, Apple, Pandora. One thing that has really come out of the rise of streaming is that it is impossible to deny when something has become a phenomenon somewhere. If you look at YouTube and you see not just Gangnam Style, but like, you know, we mentioned Jay. Balvin before, Jay Balvin hitting billions of streams on a given song, because YouTube is kind of a, a predominant way of listening to music in Latin America, you suddenly see, like, that you remember that old saying about it was it you know, how many Elvis fans can't be wrong? <laughs> you know, well, you know, two billion Jay Balvin fans can't be wrong. I think streaming, among other things, has has just taught the world somebody somewhere loves this and that's sometimes that's impetus enough to check something out. And Elise brought up translations before and that is huge. Like back in the CD era, if you were lucky, there was either synopsis or in tiny, tiny letters, translations of songs. And you had to know about the music to find the CD or find a community where you could find the, the music. You know, now like within an hour or minutes of a song being released. The instant translation is actually a huge issue right now or among the ARMY community because Run BTS is this ongoing reality show that follows BTS around. And ARMY wants English subtitles for content like that right away. Right. Um, and so they're saying, hey, Big Hit, give it, which is their BTS's label, Big Hit. They're saying, Big Hit, give us the subtitles. But fans or the Korean-American fans here who know both languages languages, they'll tend to provide the translations for free, which mm -hmm. shows the dedication. But then it's kind of a self-perpetuating cycle, right? Because then if I were big hit, I'd say, well, no, I don't have to do it because y'all are y'all are doing it anyway. And the lyric translation is huge because uh, I think it takes a lot of the music beyond uh, the novelty status. It, like, it allows the kids and people and fans who listen to it to make a deeper connection with the music. Because I remember like also hearing uh, songs in other languages and thinking, I like this, but I have no idea what they're saying or what this is about. It's not resonating with me on anything other than the, the melody's nice or I like the beat. Yeah, and we should remember uh, so much of um, K-pop lyrics are social commentary, especially mm -hmm. for BTS, which gets a lot of credit for being authentic because they play such a role in the production of their music. And so their albums or their discography has really told a story of them coming to age and all that. But Gangnam Style, you mentioned Gangnam Style out of Psy. I mean, that is a critique of the nu nouveau riche in Korea, which isn't talked about a lot. You know, he raps about $5 coffees, which is true, um, in, in Gangnam, which is the ritzy district in Seoul. Mm -hmm. And so social commentary 
as we can experience it won't make sense unless we can actually understand the lyrics, right? So that's been key. And streaming has been uh, particularly important for the popularity of Latinx music, uh, certainly in the U.S. I want to play a little bit of uh, Camila Cabello's song, uh, Havana. And this song that features uh, Young Thug, it has been streamed 1.3 billion times. Uh, I feel like I have personally heard that song 1.3 billion times. (laughs) It is the the seventh most streamed song of all time. uh, And right behind it is Despacito at uh, Mm. number eight, which is incredible. Uh, So we've talked about streaming and social media and access to lyric translations all making this globalization possible. What are some other reasons? I think a lot about how much cheaper it is for artists to produce music to begin with and to disseminate it, right? Mm -hmm. Because like you think about, we talk a lot about bedroom pop and like sort of the what I think of now as the Billie Eilish effect, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. That you can make music on your own. That's not just true here. That's true right. everywhere. Um, and you can make music on the cheap in your room. You can make music and disseminate it from your mobile phone. You can share it anywhere, anytime. And that's true everywhere now. I mean, that's true. There are, I'm thinking, for example, in lots of countries in Africa that sort of skip generations, technological generations, and are now everything is done on mobile phones. Um, that, you know, if you didn't have the infrastructure, once mobile came, it sort of disrupted everything. And that was true for music, too. It became very possible for underrepresented communities um, to make music, to get music out there. They didn't need the brass ring of a big record label or big entertainment machines backing. And they've become huge stars. Yeah. Well, and putting and putting music players in the hands of everyone. You know, it used yeah. to be you would mm-hmm. you would maybe have a phone and an iPod. Mm-hmm. Now, like everything is in your phone. Your phone is a camera, your mu- your phone is a music player. Like you just have so, you would just have constant access to music no matter what, provided you are one of the people who carries a phone with you wherever you go. Everything's transformed in a way that it's very hard to to sort of think about 10 years ago, 15 years ago as being the Jurassic era, but (laughs) it kind of is. Yeah, that's how fast technological change has occurred and how, how far mobile phone technology has penetrated into the developing world, right? And so there's places where you may not have a toilet, but you'll have a cheap phone. Exactly. And with that phone, you have access to the world. Not to be cynical, but I think another thing that you have to consider about why this is happening now is that some labels have decided that there's money to be made. Absolutely. Uh, What? (laughs) (laughs) 
No, I mean, I don't mean just by signing the, the juggernauts like BTS, but you've got labels like RCA going into, uh, you know, Nigeria and signing the rapper WizKid uh, because they think that they can make this international rapper big in the U.S. Well, I, I've said this to Stephen now for several years, I think, in South by Southwest picks. Like, there has been such a presence of Nigerian artists in yeah. particular, and mm. so many of them have been signed by Sony, of which RCA is now a subsidiary, mm. um, that they really feel like there's money to be made, that they're, the artists there are mass market appealing enough that they can be exported anywhere. Let's hear a little bit of the Nigerian rapper WizKid's uh, song, Come Closer. Go outside. Big time forward. The star boy there, so. Came into the game, no one replaced me. Me love my energy straight, we no chaser. All of my guys know me all about me paper. Me call me girls all around me, me no chaser. Yeah, star boy call me number one. When me tune drop, the girls they bounce along. Me no let nothing come between me and me paper. So when me come in, I de place me undertaker. Yeah, 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 yeah. And this is from his first uh, major label debut in the U.S. Sounds from the other side. And of course, it features Drake uh, on this cut, Come Closer. I want to talk about where globalization has sort of gotten us and where we're going from here. But first, we need to take a short break and uh, we'll be right back. Support for this podcast and the following message come from American Mensa, the high IQ organization that offers intellectual stimulation and a place to socialize with smart people like yourself. Your high intelligence is the passport to compelling Mensa groups, events, and publications. If you think you may be eligible for membership, take Mensa's admission test or qualify using one of 200 other supervised tests that are accepted. Visit AmericanMensa.com join to take the next step today. It's All Songs Considered from NPR Music. I'm Robin Hilton. I'm here with Anastasia Stilkas, Elise Hsu, and Stephen Thompson. And we're looking at the globalization of music as uh, one of the defining trends of the past decade. Um, we've talked about what's been happening, and we've played some examples. And um, all of this feels like a good thing, right? I mean, like to me, music has never been more interesting. And artists who could have never have found a large audience a decade ago are, are really popping right now. And you see the labels investing in, in international markets. But it does raise some questions. And I think the biggest one for me is how you pull off globalization without cultural appropriation. That's a tricky question. I always say cultural appreciation, not appropriation. <laughs> so well, how um, do you walk that line? First, you should kind of ask which culture is being centered here, mm -hmm. you know, because so much of the way we talk about music or we talk about cultures like puts us like puts Americans at the center. Right. Or Americans as exceptional. And right. then then make has these expectations baked in of that framework like, oh, this music is derivative of whatever the center is. And so sort of shifting centers and thinking about that is one sort of positioning thing that I think about. The other is I expect that if you are to wear a certain culture's clothing or become interested in it and, and express that, that you are actually studying a, a, up a little bit or getting educated on the context from which it comes. You know, I think that is a, a show or a signal of appreciation more than appropriation that kind of helps. But yeah, I mean, everybody has different ways to examine this question. But I do think that as we're watching international groups or acts become globally popular, 
my question is actually, in which direction are we asking about appropriation? Are we asking about Korean culture being appropriated? Or are we asking about like American or hip hop culture being appropriated? I think it goes both ways. Let's hear an example of this is one that from spring of last year, April 2018, Nicki Minaj's Chung Lee. Look like I'm going for a swim. Dunk on him now, I'm swinging off the rim. Bitch ain't coming off the bench. While I'm coming off the court, fully drenched. And Nicki Minaj performed this on Saturday Night Live. I mean, I, I was kind of, I don't want to make it sound like I was clutching my pearls, but I was kind of appalled to see her do that, you know, wearing chopsticks in her hair. And I, I think part of what made that appropriation as opposed to appreciation is it wasn't really any kind of collaboration. It wasn't mm-hmm. a cross-cultural collaboration where you bring in artists from another culture and are providing a showcase and collaborating creatively and coming up with something that doesn't necessarily sound exactly like either thing, as opposed to saying, well, my new shtick is I'm going to put chopsticks in my my hair. Yeah. I mean, first of all, like a culture is not a costume. Right. Let's let's be mindful of that. Right. And and it's not something to be sort of taken on and off, you know, for flavor or exotica or, or whatever. But exactly that point, like it's a question of promoting a culture or sort of providing access to a culture in parity with another one. Right. Um, you know, I think that there was sort of a, a major moment when artists like Peter Gabriel and Paul Simon started asking artists from other regions of the world to collaborate, just as you yeah. said, Stephen. And it wasn't that they were there to provide a, a, an exotic twang. They were there to present their art and create something new, right? Let's hear uh, another example. This is uh, from the rapper Rich Brian, and his song from uh, March of 2016 is called Dat Stick. Rich Brian is an Indonesian rapper and um, he was criticized pretty widely for using the N-word in, in his music and wearing cornrows. And this is, I think, a, an example, at least to speak to what you were bringing up, of how it, it does go both ways. Yeah, um, a Russian girl recently debuted as a K-pop singer in Korea, and that caused a huge fuss. What? Right, because, <laughs> yeah, because she has access to all the markets that white privilege can give you, right, because she's yeah. Russian. And so Korea was like, well, you're going to try and take ours? You're going to try yeah. and take our culture? So that's been an interesting conversation, because at the same time, this white Russian girl, she speaks Korean, she sings in Korean, her style is Korean. Um, do you have to be Korean to be K-pop? What, what role does social media play here? I mean, social media can be used for so many awful things, but it feels like it feels like this is um, maybe an example where it plays sort of the role of a, of a mediator with some of this. Yeah, I think social media can provide a check on so on artistic impulses, and sometimes that can be a bad thing, and sometimes it can it can be a good thing. We talked in a different episode about stan culture right. and, and the echo chamber that can form when you only get you know like this overwhelmingly positive feedback. But when you misstep, when you when you are appropriating other cultures in in inappropriate ways, um, you find out about it more quickly and are able, if you're smart, to to pivot quickly uh, in ways that you might not have uh, otherwise. I mean, I think Nicki Minaj probably jumped off 
the Chun-Li train, <laughs> you know, more quickly than she yeah. might have otherwise. Mm-hmm. And Anastasia, I think something you spoke to earlier was uh, authenticity and how uh, some artists are reaching out to different producers from other countries or features to kind of bring some authenticity uh, to the music. Yeah, I mean, like even a few days ago, Coldplay released a song that features um, one of the great speaking of, of artists from West Africa, Femi Kuti, who is one of the sons uh, of the great Fela Kuti. So mm. there's blazing horns. And it also is a song with a verse from my beloved Stromae, the yeah. Belgian pop singer, who has, has a very um, mixed personal background, cultural background, and sort of draws in literally the world into his music. And I'm just saying this, I'm going to take this as a sign from Stromae that there may be more music on the way. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought, I am, what happened cl- to him? Where did he I'm go? clinging to that like a life raft um, <laughs> because I love him so much. No, I love him too. Um, before we wrap everything up, let's take a look at what's uh, charting on Billboard right now. Camila Cabello and Sean Mendez have a song together called Senorita. Jay Balvin and Daddy Yankee have a, have a hit called China. The Japanese metal band Baby Metal, their album Metal Galaxy is charting right now, along with Joji's Slow Dancing in the Dark. Joji is a singer and a rapper originally from Osaka. And Bad Bunny and Tiny, their song Kayaita is on the charts right now as well. Bad Bunny is the reggaeton and Latin trap artist from uh, Puerto Rico and Tiny, uh, producer from San Juan. Let's go out on that cut. Let's go out on Kayaita from Bad Bunny and Tiny. All right. Thanks, everybody. Anastasia Silkas in our New York bureau. Pleasure to be with you. And uh, Lise Hugh and our L.A. Bureau. Thank you so much. And uh, NPR Music's Stephen Thompson here in D.C. Thanks, Robin. And I'm Robin Hilton from NPR Music. It's All Songs Considered. <laughs> Ella es calladita. <tose>